Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. Today, I'm going to be talking about teamwork and communication in doubles. So this is a topic that I've not covered a ton myself on the podcast, but I've had guests talk about it a lot. And recently, uh, in two of the episodes with the U.S. Open champions, Aaron Ratliff, and then again with Rajiv Ram, they both talked about how important teamwork and communicating with their doubles partner was to winning the U.S. Open. And I feel like it's a topic that I've kind of underrated over the years because it's not really that tangible. It's not an easy thing to explain. So if you're struggling with your volleys, I can tell you take two steps forward and quit letting the ball drop. And that's a very easy rule to implement. But when we talk about communication, when we talk about teamwork, it's a lot less tangible. It's a lot less easy Uh, to implement and execute on the court, but that doesn't make it less important. And I wanted to do an episode on kind of recapping what I've learned over the years uh, from some of my own matches, as well as a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast. So I'm going to dive into all that here in a second. Uh, First, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Number one, thank you to everyone who left a podcast review last week. Uh, That helps a lot uh, helps people, uh, other doubles players find the show. Uh, number two, the WTA finals is in Cancun, Mexico in a couple of weeks. So it starts October uh, 29th, I believe. Let me double check the calendar here. Yes, Sunday the 29th. So I'm going to be flying in on the 28th and I'm going to be there for the beginning of the week in Cancun. So if you're attending that, reach out to me, let me know. I'd love to meet you and we can watch uh, some of the top doubles teams in the world in Cancun. Uh, Number three, so there's a new uh, tennis conference that I'm going to be a part of. The conference is not new, but uh, me being a part of it is new. Um, So it's called Tennis Con 7. This is the seventh edition. Uh, It's one of the world's largest online tennis conferences, and there are tons of coaches that are presenting. And you can get free access. I'm going to include a link for you in the show notes. So you can watch my presentation, which is a a 45-minute presentation for club-level players uh, on how to create a game plan with your partner Uh, It includes some slides, some videos, uh, a little bit of me talking in front of the whiteboard. And then you'll also learn from a lot of other top coaches, uh, including a lot of guests I've had on the podcast previously. Um, So Jorge Capistani has a presentation, Gigi Fernandez, uh, Will Hamilton, Ian Westerman, um, other 
uh, guests include the former uh, coach of Serena Williams, um, or he developed Serena Williams growing up, um, as well as Jeff Salzenstein and, and a lot of other top coaches uh, from around the world. So um, check out TennisCon 7. Again, I'll link to it below in the show notes uh, for those of you who want to attend. And you can get free access for, I think it's like 48 hours, you get free access uh, to all of the presentations. And then after that, you have to pay. So be sure to to do that um, as soon as possible so that you get that free access and you don't have to um, spend the money if you don't want to. Uh, last two announcements. Uh, number one, I do have that USTA um, league doubles training product coming up later this month. I'm working on it right now. I've had a couple issues with some of the Zoom recordings, uh, so I'm having to re-record a few things, but I'm going to try to get it done before uh, I go to the WTA finals. So I'm going to launch it um, hopefully uh, the week before that. Um, at the latest, it'll be early November. And then uh, later this week, maybe next week, um, we're going to have a new t-shirt that is available. Uh, I've partnered with a company out of California called Ace the Moon, and we have a really cool new t-shirt design. Um, they've got a, a great designer over there, and they've worked with me to create this design that says down the middle solves the riddle. So it's, uh, um, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I love controlling the middle of the court. It's very important in doubles. And uh, there's a really cool t-shirt design that they were able to work with me to come up with. Um, and you'll be able to purchase those soon as well. So that is it for the announcements. Let's dive into this week's episode. So Communication and teamwork and doubles. I'm going to talk about communication when you're serving, returning, rallying, and then in between points, in between sets, uh, during tiebreakers and pressure moments, and then before and after the match as well. So we're going to start with serving. Uh, there's two things that you want to know as the serve team, whether you're the server's partner or the server. You want to know the location of the serve and then the net player's movement. So for the location of the serve, depending on your skill level, you can divide this up. You can say, I'm going to serve at the forehand or the backhand, or you can become even more specific if you're a pretty advanced player and you can divide it up into a wide serve, a body forehand serve, a body backhand serve, or a T serve. Um, so depending on your comfort level, uh, you can divide it up the, the service box up into two, three, or even four. Uh, net player movement is super important as well. So are they going to stay slash pinch? Are they going to poach or are they going to fake? I created a video on hand signals recently. You can use hand signals to uh, decide or, or communicate with each other, the serve location as well as the net player's movement. You can also just talk in between points. That's what a lot of pro level teams do. That's typically what I do during uh, 10 point tiebreakers or even set tiebreakers and really any pressure moments. I like to talk just to get that extra communication and um, get some extra, you know, positive energy and fist bumps in um, as well. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a second. But uh, you can check out that video on hand signals. It's on our, our YouTube channel, Instagram. Uh, I think it's on Facebook as well. Um, so. Uh, check that out if you want to learn how to use hand signals. But those are the two things you really want to know because 
it's really important as the net player to know where to expect the serve. If you know this serve's coming down the tee, it can dictate how you move at the net uh, based on um, the quality of your partner's serve as well as what you know about the returner and, and whether or not they like that particular return. Another thing you can communicate as the serve team is the type of serve. Um, so regardless of location, when I'm the net player, I actually like to know if they're going to hit a spin serve or a flat serve. So a flat serve is more likely to come back faster and I'm going to have a quicker volley. Of course, they're more likely to miss the return in a lot of cases, but I can't bank on that. I have to be ready for that serve plus one volley. So if my partner is going to hit a flat serve, then I need to be ready for a quick reaction volley. But if they're going to hit a spin serve, then that return is going to come back a little slower typically, uh, and I'm going to have a little more time to react. So um, if you're timing a fake or a poach, it's important to know the pace and the spin of the serve as well. So let's move on to the return team. This is mostly going to be for second serves. So when you're returning against first serves, you're typically going to defend. You're going to just try to get the point started and get back to neutral. And there's not a whole lot of communication between the returner and the returner's partner that needs to be done on first serves. Uh, if the opponents do have a weak first serve, you can treat it like a second serve, which I'll go over here in a second. So with second serves, uh, you, you want to tell your partner where you're going to return. So it may be the case, and this is usually the case with most club level teams, you're going to be returning cross court almost every time because a lot of net players you're going to face are really not going to poach, especially against a second serve, and you just want to make a lot of returns. But what you can do is actually call the second serve. So you can do this with hand signals or uh, you can communicate with your partner before the point starts. So this would be before the first serve. And you can tell them, hey, if I get a second serve look here, I'm going to go down the line. So knowing on that second serve or if they have a weak first serve, you can do this. Uh, is the returner going to return down the line at the net player or are they going to return cross court? So that will dictate the returner's partner's position. If they're going to return down the line, you need to be pinching a little bit more towards the middle to cover that middle volley. Uh, the other thing you can call as the return team is a poach or a stay. So I've got some YouTube videos on this. Uh, there's a, a good one on Instagram as well, a good reel on um uh, the two, the return team switching after the return to force a serve plus one error. Uh, and you can do this with hand signals. The hand signals are the same as uh, the serve team hand signals. So it's a closed fist for stay and open palm for poach. I would encourage you, if you're going to do this, do it on every second serve. Because if you wait to do it when you're going to actually poach, then the serve team it's pretty easy for them to read. You know, you haven't done hand signals the whole time on second serves, and then all of a sudden you do it. It's obviously, you know, you're going to be poaching on that one. So I would encourage you to do it uh, every time. And then, of course, mix it up. And then uh, another thing you can do, and I learned this uh, several years ago when I started watching more and more pro tennis, is you can actually poach on the second ball. So the serve comes to your partner, your partner hits the return, the serve hits the, the ball back cross court, your partner hits the return plus one shot, and then you can poach. 
And the way to signal that is you just hold up a number two behind your back, which means I'm going to poach on the second ball. And I learned this from uh, Caroline Dolhide, who I had on the podcast a long time ago back in, I think it was October 2021 at World Team Tennis. I saw her do this with uh, Coco Vandeweghe. They were playing doubles together, and I saw her signal a two, and I asked her what that meant, and that's how they were able to signal the poach on the return plus one shot. So it's not the first shot, um, not on the return, but the first shot after the return. So that is what you want to be communicating as the return team. There's a few other things for during the rally that I'll get into uh, next here in a second. So there's three things during the rally that you might communicate with your partner. So the first thing is just calling the ball. A lot of times you'll hear yours or you'll hear mine. And there's a few scenarios where you might use this. So number one is on lobs. If you're the net player, the opponents lob you, you're backing up for an overhead. You're able to call mine if you feel like you've got the overhead. Or if you start to back up, then you realize, okay, this ball is a little higher than I thought. You can bail and call yours. And it's your job as the net player to Uh, determine if it's your ball or not, because you get first access since you're the player at the net. Um, That's a lesson that I taught a few weeks ago in a clinic, actually, where a few ladies got confused because uh, one of the ladies at the net was backing up for an overhead. She bailed on it last minute and didn't communicate that with her partner, and they ended up losing the point. So the net player is the one that needs to be communicating that. The back player needs to be ready until the last second for that uh, net player to call yours. Because sometimes you think you have it until the very last second, and then you bail from it, and then the back player needs to be ready to cover. Um, So that's how you want to think about yours and mine on the lobs. Uh, There's also a scenario on a lot of middle balls. So if both players are back and the ball comes, especially if it's kind of a slower one through the middle, Ideally, you'll determine uh, before the match, or you'll know if you've played with your partner a lot before, who should take those middle balls. You know, if if one player wants to get to the net, they should leave the middle ball for their partner, and then they can move forward. Or if uh, the ad court player has a forehand in the middle that they like a lot, then the ad court player should probably take a lot of those middle balls. So that's another scenario where uh, you might call yours or mine. If you're the stronger player, a lot of times if I'm returning in the ad court and I'm the stronger player and my partner's back with me, when I see that ball come through the middle, if I'm the stronger player, I have my forehand uh, ground stroke in the middle, I'm going to call that. Uh, So I'm going to say mine, uh, especially if I'm in better position than them. So those are the two scenarios where you're going to call yours and mine. Another thing you might call during the point is switch. So especially if you you haven't played with your partner before uh, or if you're playing lower level tennis where um, it's not very clear to everyone you know where you should be on the court then you might need a call switch and typically that's going to be when you're at the baseline your partner's at the net and your partner gets lobbed you have to cover that ball down the line uh, the baseline player should be calling switch now ideally the net player should just recognize this and go ahead and move. But again, if you haven't played with them before, or if if it's a little bit lower level tennis where the person doesn't understand double strategy uh, quite as well as you do, you might need a call switch for them. And that way 
they shift over to the opposite court and then you cover that lob down the line uh, and y'all are back into a scenario where uh, you can still cover the majority of the court. And then the last thing that you might call during a point is up. So when your partner is at the net and you're at the baseline and you're in a tough spot, you're on defense and you have to throw the ball up, you have to lob it. As soon as you hit that ball, you might say up. Now be careful, this can be a hindrance since the the opposing team is um, the team that's that's about to hit the ball. So you don't want to you know, yell it before they hit their overhead or something. Um, but as soon as you hit it or you know you're about to hit the lob, uh, you might yell up just to let your partner at the net know, hey, I'm throwing this ball up. You should start to back up because we're on defense now. Now, when they see, you know, of course, if you hit a good lob and they see that ball uh, go past the opposing net player or net players, um, then they can move back forward uh, because you're on offense at that point. So those are some things that you want to think about uh, during a rally. Um, and then the other times we want to be communicating is between points, between sets, and then I'll talk about pressure moments as well. So between points, um, you want to be constantly studying the opponents during the match. I've talked about this uh, at length on previous episodes, uh, so I'm going to keep this short. Um, the thing that I guess the the framework that I like to use is, you know, I, while I'm studying the opponents, I'll walk over to my partner between points if we, especially if we lost a point or if we won a point, but we still missed an opportunity to maybe win that point earlier uh, on an earlier shot, I'll walk over to my partner and I'll say, hey, next time we see that, let's do this. So it could be uh, next time we see both of them get to the net, let's go at that player's backhand volley. Or next time we see them both get to the net, it seems like they're closing really hard. Let's lob. You know, something that you're noticing on the other side of the net that you can take advantage of. So that's something you might communicate between points. Another thing you might want to communicate between points, and this is going to be after you lose a point specifically, or maybe you just had a long kind of confusing point. uh, You can walk over to your partner and you can say, do you want me to do something different there? And that could be, uh, should I have lobbed that to buy both of us more time to kind of reset? Or should I have hit it at that player instead of that player? Or should I have hit it at the baseline player instead of the net player? Or do you want me to cover that shot? Or do you want me to cover that lob next time they hit that? You know, communicating that and figuring out, especially after points you lose, uh, what should we have done differently? So that next time you get into that situation, you will know okay, we already talked about this and that player has a short forehand again. And uh, we talked about earlier how when they have a short forehand, they like that angle shot and I need to shift over and cover that. You know, it, it might be a scenario like that. So discussing and opening up that dialogue between points, especially after points you lose, is going to help you continue to develop your game plan with your partner uh, and, and just ask them. You don't have to tell them hey, when we have that middle ball, uh, let me take it because it's my forehand. Instead, you can frame it like a question so that you're not coaching or telling your partner what to do. You can say, hey, next time that ball goes through the middle, do you want me to take it with my forehand so that you can get to the net? And then we're in a little bit better position. What do you think? 
you know, get their input and open up the conversation and the dialogue in between the points. So next, uh, between sets, and this could be on changeovers uh, between games. It doesn't necessarily have to be between sets, but it's something that Rajiv Ram talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast. Uh, I would listen to that if you get a chance. Um, He did a really, really good job of explaining uh, how he's been able to do this over the years, and he's able to explain it in a better way than I probably can. But he talked about sharing how he's feeling with his partner. So he used to play a lot of singles, and now that he's playing uh, doubles the last five years or so, he has had to learn how to communicate better with a doubles partner because in singles, you're um, kind of figuring things out on your own. And on the doubles court, you have a partner out there who can help lift you up. You can lean on them at times. So it's important, you know, during changeovers between sets, whatever it is, let your partner know if you're not feeling great or if you are feeling great, let them know um, because you can then create your game plan around that. If you're feeling poor, if you're, you know, hey, I have low energy, uh, then they're going to know that and they're going to try to lift you up. You know, they might be able to kind of take on some of the burden. Or if you're feeling really good, you can say, hey, I'm feeling great today. Um, If you want on some of those middle balls that you usually take, you know, my forehand's feeling really good. You can, you can let me take those and you can get to the net. Or uh, I'm going to keep returning and volleying because I'm feeling really good at the net today. You know, if, if you can communicate how you're feeling to your partner, then you all can work together to help lift each other up, help keep the energy high, and, and even adjust your game plan accordingly if you're feeling a particular shot or uh, feeling particularly comfortable from a certain area. So that's something else to talk about. Uh, last, we'll talk about tiebreakers, pressure moments, and then before and after the match as well. So during tiebreakers and pressure moments, something that I like to do that I've, I've talked about in the past, but uh, I feel like it's super, super important, is I actually like to increase the communication and the actual touches with my doubles partner. So that means uh, instead of using hand signals when we're serving, I'm going to go back and talk to them. And we're going to talk about serve location, net player movement, uh, the pace of the serve, spin or flat serve. Uh, and then I'm going to give them a few high fives or fist bumps or whatever our um, our communication or our encouragement style is. So I think during pressure moments, that helps kind of lift your partner up. It helps lift you up. It keeps your energy up. And it can um, help get you through some of those nerves and some of that pressure. So Uh, I think that's really important. Um, What this looks like as the return team is as soon as the point's over, I'm going to jog back to my partner, give them a high five, communicate something with them. Maybe, you know, hey, if I get a second serve here, I'm going down the line or or whatever it is. Um, Say something. Uh, You might even encourage them after the last point. Hey, don't worry about it. You're in the right position. You'll get the next one. Uh, I feel like you'll make that overhead nine out of 10 times. So let's keep playing this way. Uh, whatever it is, or, or just a great shot, you know, awesome shot there. Keep it up. Let's go. Um, communicating a little bit of verbal communication and then another fist bump or high five or whatever it is. So I, I like to do both of those, um, whether it's serving or returning. Um, in between points. I feel like that's super, super important in tiebreakers and pressure moments. Uh, And then last is before and after the match. 
So before the match, uh, you want to talk with your partner. Obviously, if you're playing with somebody new, I've talked in the past about all the questions you want to go over. Uh, definitely listen to the Jorge Capistani episode if you have not already. I talk about it a lot, and it is one of the most popular episodes of all time, but uh, for good reason. He's got 20 questions to go over with your partner before the match that is going to help your team chemistry, your communication, uh, your overall teamwork. And then after the match, you know, I know we're not pro-level doubles players and we're not doing a detailed post-match analysis, but if you can spend two or three minutes talking with your partner about at least about what went well for them, uh, what they would change next time, what you would, what went well for you, what adjustments you want to change next time, and then kind of talk together to figure out what that means for you as a team so that you can uh, maybe come out differently next time. Maybe you make a very slight adjustment that gets you an extra couple of points that could be the difference in the match. So um, you might tell them, hey, I feel like when we uh, switch return sides in the second set, uh, that it helped us a lot. Maybe we should go with you on the ad side and me on the deuce side. Or I felt like, you know, when I was at the net, I was really comfortable and I was able to get a lot of uh, pretty easy volleys with you dictating from the back. So maybe next time we play two back when I'm returning and I'll return and come in and then you can dictate from the baseline with me at the net. You know, you, you might be able to come up with some of that strategy after the match if you talk through that with your partner and talk with them about what worked well, what didn't, and what changes you want to make. So this, of course, doesn't cover everything in terms of communication and teamwork and doubles. If there's anything I missed, uh, anything you like to do with your partner, definitely reach out to me and let me know. I would love to hear from you um, because, like I said, I, I don't uh, don't think that I have all the answers. Um, but you can email me, will at vtennistribe.com to uh, let me know what um, what you thought of this episode and if you have anything to add on that as well. But hopefully this helped you uh, as far as communication and teamwork and you can implement some of this in your next match. And I will talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at vtennistribe.com.